You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gccugene.org. It's always fun to hear the like volume of this room get louder and louder. I'm like, oh, that means, means people like each other, or at least pretending to like each other. So my name is Jake Clausen. I'm one of the elders here at GCC. I've been serving as an elder um, for about a year now. Um, and so, and my wife and I have been coming here for close to six years, like back in the lane five days. Uh, so it's like fun to see uh, how much the, the church has changed uh, over those years. Um, I'm also uh, one of the directors of Crew, which is a, a college ministry. So I see some like new faces that maybe look college age. So if you're interested in getting connected with a college ministry, uh, come see me after. I'd love to either share about Crew or some of the other great uh, ministries uh, that are on campus. And so the last, I know the last few days for you, if you're a college student, have been crazy. So <laughs> I'm like rolling in hot just to uh, make you aware. I think I got home at like 8 p.m. last night after like flock party and a busy day. And I swear it felt like it was three in the morning. So that's what you're getting uh, this morning as I, as I preach the word uh, to you guys. But as always, uh, it's an honor to be in front of you. I think uh, every time I get up here, I'm just like, man, I feel like so many other people could do this <laughs> better than myself. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, uh, let me come uh, share the word with you. So we're going to continue our series on friendship. It's just a, a two-week series. Uh, Ronnie preached last week on John 15, 15, and helped us see that our ultimate friend is found in Christ. That every relationship, as good as it might be, like some of us in here have great friends um, and really good friends, and some of us in here are good friends, but they all pale in comparison uh, to the friend that we have in Christ. So this week, um, I'm going to kind of take the practical side of it or the ramifications in our relationships with one another. In other words, how does the, this truth that Jesus is our ultimate friend impact the way that we interact with one another? Because the truth is, God filled the earth with humans and we interact with one another. So how do we do that in a Christ-like uh, biblical way. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and what the Bible, how does the Bible speak to uh, friendships? And uh, I always think it's important for you to know kind of like my story or where I'm at coming into this in regards to the this topic. And uh, I'm not going to lie, it felt very ironic when I like got shared the um, preaching uh, schedule and like the topics. And it was like, Jake, friendship. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Because I, I would say like friendships have actually been a really, a, a really big struggle for me for a while now. And uh, I, I like typed up this, I always type up my sermons. And then I let my wife like look, look at them. I'm like, how does this look? Am I saying anything heretical? And she was like, your intro's good, but it's just like, it's boring and it's not really real. And I was like, ouch. Because she knew like that I had really been struggling with and I was kind of avoiding it. And I was avoiding like coming up here and telling you guys that I struggle with friendships um, because I want you to see me as someone who is really good at, you know, making friends and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm really grateful for her. But for the past five years or so, um, I, I would say I've like found myself feeling pretty like lonely is like an emotion that I feel pretty often. Like my family, for example, my family lives eight hours away. Um, like I'm not, I don't have family in Eugene. I work in a job that takes me away, like a lot of weekends, a lot of evenings. And even in the summers when I think most people are free, 
uh, to do stuff. But I found recently that I, I've started to kind of make this idol out of friendship, having a deep, close friend that I could share anything with and hang out with like all the time. And what happened was I started to set these like unattainable expectations and desires of what a friend should be on people. And they're really like expectations that only God himself could meet. Like no human being could actually meet these. Um, and it hit me that I was looking, f- you know, to broken sinful people to fulfill something in me that, that only God could. Um, and that, that is my sin that I come in with this morning. And honestly, I don't think people would notice, but I noticed that I wasn't, I was actually like being a pretty bad friend to people out of that. Um, I was caring more about what the other person could give me and fulfill in me than actually like loving them and taking the time to love them. So kind of a point and where we're going this morning is when we don't look to Christ as our ultimate friend and rest in the gospel, it has significant impact on our relationships with other people. And so we all have examples from our past or even our present examples where we've been hurt by friends, betrayed, wronged, etc. And we've also been on the other side, like maybe some of us have been a crappy friend to someone. And some of us, I would say in this room, are, are in the camp of where we don't feel like we really, we really need friends. Um, and we actually like live isolated from who we were made to be, which is in relationship with other people. We live disconnected or maybe disconnected emotionally and spiritually from people. On the other side, if you're like me, you might idolize friendships and are constantly demanding people around you to live up to this perfect idea of what a friend could be. And when they don't live up to it, you get hurt or upset. Or what I do is I withdraw. I kind of like, you know, suck into my turtle shell, things like that. But the truth is, and the reality is, is we all fall short somewhere and in, and in one way, if not many ways. And that's where we have to start when we come into the, what the Bible says. Like we have to come in realizing we, we fall short. Um, and that is our sin, that is our fallen condition that we come, up, come in with as humans. But I believe the Bible is powerful and can speak into every area of life, including how we engage with friends. Um, I think God gave us his word, not just to tell us the history or, or how he feels about us. Yes, that's true. But I think it's also a way for him to instruct us and to show us and guide us and direct us in all these areas of our lives. And I want you to keep in mind, like there is never, ever a one size fits all <laughs> like manual for a friendship. Even you can think of people in your life, like the way that you care for one friend is not how the, another friend of yours wants to be cared for. Um, so remember that there isn't a one size fits all for that. But I hope our conversation today can help us grow in how we can practically love people and reflect a biblical view of friendship um, in our relationships with one another. So we're going to look at a small passage this morning in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you're somewhat unfamiliar with your Bible, it's towards the front of it. Um, It's like within the first maybe seven-ish books. It's the book of 1 Samuel. We will be in chapter 18, and we'll just look at verses 1 through 5. So a a pretty short text today. Um, But as you're flipping there, I'd, I'd love to pray for us. Father, I just want to first and foremost thank you for being our ultimate friend. Like, thank you that there is a need, a desire, uh, a wish um, for all of us to have this like companion, this friend that is always there, who perfectly loves us, perfectly cares for us, is there for us whenever we need. And thank you that you provide that. I pray that even as we start talking about the practicals, that you would help us rest in that truth, Lord, and to not look elsewhere for something you've already given us through your son, Jesus. Father, I pray um, even just for myself that you would fill me with your spirit as, we, as I preach your word today, that it would honor you and glorify you and not me. 
Um, that if there's anything I say that isn't true or of you, it would just go in one ear and out the other. But if there's something you want people to walk away with, it would be like a rock in their shoe that you bring to their mind and their heart throughout the week. And we love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so here's, uh, I'll go ahead and read the passage. First uh, Samuel 18, 1 through 5. As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of the war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So some quick context. I know we're jumping right into this passage without having, normally at GCC, we, we preach through books of the Bible. We just go verse by verse, um, but we're taking a small break and doing a series. So we don't normally just jump into passage and jump out, um, but at times we want to preach on uh, different topics and use the text um, to, to show us what a biblical view of these topics are. So quick context is David has just been anointed future king. Um, Samuel has come and anointed him and said, you will be the future king of Israel. And then David just comes and basically knocks out a giant that nobody wants to fight with a pebble. And so he's, it's the most fearsome warrior that they've ever seen. And David takes him out. So that's kind of like, as soon as that is done, this is where we're picking up. And so, uh, there's three truths. So if you're a note taker, there's three things, um, I, I want to kind of talk through the, to guide this sermon today. And it's this, real friends are committed, affirming, and action-oriented. So real friends are committed, affirming, and action-oriented. So we'll start with committed. Uh, Verse 1 tells us uh, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. As soon as he was done talking, it was knit to him. Kind of an interesting word. Uh, The Hebrew word can be translated as bound up or tied together. Um, And so I was looking through other places that this word came up and it was used a lot to describe God's word being bound in people's hearts, to be tied up in people's hearts, to be rested there. So in other words, it is such a deep bond. It suggests an unbreakable bond. It's something that will never, ever come apart between two things. And so we aren't sure what exactly started this bond. It just says as soon as uh, David was done speaking, they were knit together. Um, it could be that they were pretty similar. And just a few chapters earlier in 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan takes like just his armor bearer, just one guy, and takes out a bunch of Philistines all by themselves. Like he comes in and takes out like 20 dudes all by himself with his armor bearer. So he's a brave guy. He has courage. He has skill in battle. So maybe when he sees David take out this giant, he's like, that's my dude. You know, this guy is about what I'm about and good at what I'm good at. And that might be what kind of first uh, started that bond. And so I I started thinking like many of our friends are actually born because we have similar hobbies. Maybe we're similar in character, things that we like. And I actually think that that's a good thing. Like we see that here, like things that we have similarities in birth friendships. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes a book uh, called The Four Loves, and he kind of uh, categorizes four loves. And one of those is like the love within friendships. And C.S. Lewis argues that if we didn't share a hobby or something in common with our friends, there would actually be nothing for our friendships to be about. 
And I thought that that was interesting. I mean, there's probably other things you could find in common, but I think there's something to be said about having a common thing that binds people together and brings them together. And I think that's an encouragement to do things with your friends that you enjoy, whether that be watching movies together, drinking coffee, talking about apologetics or the Bible, uh, maybe listening to music, hiking, you name it, um, to do those things. And I think we're naturally drawn to people who like the same things that we like. And I would say that that's okay. Um, my only caution is that if the only friends you have in your life are ones that you have, have things in common with, it might reveal what you're actually valuing most in friendship. So it's not a bad thing to have friends with things in common and, and similar hobbies and things like that, but that shouldn't be the only thing that your friendship is based on. And I think biblically, in many ways, Jesus didn't have much in common with us, if you think about it. <laughs> like we were pretty different in terms of our character and things like that, and yet Jesus was still committed to us and still called us his friends. And perhaps it was maybe the Spirit of God that bound them together. It wasn't just similarities. All we know is from this moment on, these guys are best friends. Like if you continue on reading in 1 Samuel, you'll see scene after scene of Jonathan and David's friendship continuing to grow and develop and deepen. And Jonathan is committed to David, so much so that if you read later on, he continually, like time and time again, protects David from his own dad, Saul, who's trying to kill him. He's like basically a spy for David with his dad. And so my question for us and how it might apply to us is like, do we protect our friends? Are we willing to protect them against evil, death, things that are threatening to them? And I would say one of the most threatening things to our friends is actually like the enemy himself who is trying to speak lies or, or guide our friends and even ourselves into sin, into patterns in our life that are not healthy for us or not good for us. Some of the moments I felt most loved and cared for by my friends are those who have like spoken truth into my life and like called out my sin or ways that I was not reflecting who God created me to be in a loving way. Do we protect our friends against others? Like whether that be word, like verbal, physical, whatever that might be. I think as friends, we're called to protect one another and speak up against one another, fight for one another. And see, we see this reflected in Jesus's friendship with us. Uh, his soul is knit to ours. It's bound up in ours. No matter where we go, what we do, he is committed to us. His promise, even as he's ascending into heaven, is that I will be with you to the end of the age. I will never, ever leave you. I am committed to you. And I believe our friendships with each other should, should look like this. Obviously, there's brokenness within it, but we should be living in such a way where we are committed to our friends like that. And I would just ask some questions like, are we committed to our friends? Or are we flaky? Maybe we're fair weather friends. When things get tough, do we disappear as friends? Maybe because we don't know how to help or don't know what to do? Or are we there through it all, even if we don't know what to say or what to do in that exact moment? Maybe some of us are uh, like, I call them like serial friend daters, <laughs> you know, like where we have like different friends and, and maybe you start to get a little deep and that fear of rejection comes in and then you find like somebody else where that fear isn't, isn't present and, and to challenge us to be vulnerable and share about those things that are really difficult for us. Do your friendships endure conflict and disagreements? I think this is a big one. In the New Testament, there's a, a um, scene in shoot, it's either Galatians or Acts. I'm really sorry. I did not write it down and I can't remember where Peter and Paul kind of have this uh, disagreement. Peter and Paul were like, yeah, these like church leaders um, back uh, when the early church was getting started. 
And there was a point where Paul approaches Peter and he's like, hey, the way that you're living is not reflecting what Jesus taught. And it actually like brought their relationship closer together. He was willing to call him out. I wouldn't say that they were like the best friends on the planet, but their friendship endured conflict and endured calling out one another in that. And so, and one last aspect I think of being committed is, is the way that we pursue people. Are we friends who pursue one another? Because that takes effort and time and risk, like emotional risk to pursue your friend, even if you don't feel like they're returning the same amount of pursuit to you. Because if we look at Jesus, I think he pursued us like infinitely more than we could ever pursue him, right? And so I think our, our friendships can reflect that. Are we pursuing one another and, and making an effort to hang out or spend time with, get to know one another um, and those things? And so the second thing is affirming. I said real friends are committed and then real friends are affirming. Uh, if we look in verse three, it says that Jonathan made a covenant uh, with David right there, then and there. This was a sworn oath to one another that whatever happened, they would protect each other. It's like a verbal agreement. And later in 1 Samuel 20, because uh, right here, we don't really know like what exactly they promised. I, it, it just says they made a covenant, but we don't know exactly for what and what that promise was. But later in 1 Samuel 20, they kind of like re-up their covenant. And they're like, hey, this is what this means. And basically they said, I'm going to look after your family and you're going to look after mine if anything should happen to us. And keep in mind in, in this like cultural context, like family and caring for them, making sure they're provided for was a really, really important thing uh, to people. And, and like top on your list of like, as long as my family's taken care of, that means the world to me. And so it's interesting because Jonathan and David actually make three covenants. And so we don't know if they're like different ones each time or they're just like solidifying the same covenant over and over again. But I think it speaks to this idea that they were verbally committing to one another, verbally saying like, I am with you no matter what happens. And so we see covenants used in the Old Testament to affirm God's commitment to Israel. God gives Israel covenant after covenant after covenant or promise after promise after promise. And he gives terms to the relationship and the consequences of, not, of those terms not being met. What God is doing, I think, in these covenants is binding himself to his people, identifying with them, saying, like, I am with you. Basically, I'm your friend. I am your God. And verbally committing himself to them. Kind of like marriage vows. You know, we don't just, like, sign a piece of paper and we're like, we're married. You know, we, we get up and we verbally, like, I verbally told my wife, like, I do. I promise to do these things. I could have just said them, right? Or just assume she knew them. I had to verbally tell her and in front of our friends and family. And I think that secures the relationship. It's a public declaration of love. And that's what God has done with us through his covenants. And, and most importantly, through his son is a verbal declaration. And so we see this same thing between David and Jonathan. It's a verbal affirmation of their friendship and a promise to protect one another a promise to have each other's backs. If you don't know much about me, uh, I grew up playing hockey like since age four. And one of my favorite things about playing hockey is playing on a team with people who will actually like fight another person if someone messes with you. Like that was my favorite thing. And especially like the goalie, like if you mess with a hockey player's goalie, that's a one-way ticket to drop in the mitts, okay? So that is like my favorite sport for a reason. I love watching playoff hockey because if you haven't watched it, there's always like a skirmish in front of the goalie's net because they're like, get away from him. 
or you see somebody messing with a guy on her team, someone else on your team will go fight. And it's like, hey, you're going to mess with my dude. I'm going to come after you. And I think that there's something about that in this friendship where he's like, I have your back no matter what happens. And I think that there's uh, something freeing in that. And biblical relationships, I think, should affirm one another. And so my question for us is, is how often are we telling our friends what we think of them? And like, hey, you're a really good friend to me. Like, I really appreciate and value this friendship with you. This is what your friendship means to me. This is where I'd be if like you weren't in my life. And I think there's something freeing about that. Like being told that, you know, is like, oh, this person like, yeah, really values our friendship. And then on the other hand of like sharing with your friend what they mean to you and knowing where you stand with one another. And a few things I, I, I want to kind of like uh, address is like, don't live for the affirmation. Because if you're like me, I'm like, yeah, tell me everything you love about me because that'll make me feel better for like two minutes. And then I want some more, you know? Um, so don't live for that affirmation. Like, well, if my friend never tells me, then we must not be very good friends. No, but rest in that affirmation. Rest in what your friend thinks about you. But don't live for it and crave for it because I think that reveals even an, a separate idol in our lives of the approval of people. And another caution is like, don't let your pride get in the way. Because I think some of us can be like, well, they should know. Like we spend time together, we do this, or I did this act. They, they should know like how I feel about them as a friend. It's like pretty obvious, right? I would say that that's pride on our part. Like I shouldn't have to tell them this because everything else has proven it. I think we don't see God doing that with us, right? He's not, he's both verbal in his expression of his love for us, but he also like shows it, which we'll talk about later. And I would say another caution is our fear. I think we can let our fear get in the way. Like, what if I say this and they, they don't say it back? Or what if I say this and they don't value this friendship as much as I do? That's a pretty scary place to be. And I would say if we rest in what Ronnie preached on last week, that Jesus is our ultimate friend, I think it frees us up to give us the courage to face that fear because that is a valid fear of rejection. But I think that's what fuels us um, to step into that. And remember that Jesus already calls you a friend. Your identity will never be more secure than that. Even if, even if your friend likes like, yeah, yeah, you're cool, you know, but I don't feel like the same way that, that I hope that doesn't happen. But even if that does, like your identity is secure in your friendship with Christ. And then the number three thing is friends, real friends are action oriented. Jonathan seals his covenant with David by giving him his royal armor, weapons, and even his robe. And we see that in verse four. On one hand, Jonathan is giving up everything, because I think this has a few different implications. He's given up everything for his friendship with David. We aren't sure if at this point Jonathan knows David is anointed future king or not. The text doesn't say, like, did, did he know that? You know, was someone telling him? Did David tell him? Doesn't say. But we can guess he has a feeling that David is something special. Like he saw this guy literally just take out a giant. And up until this point, the throne belonged to Jonathan. If anything happened to Saul, it was Jonathan's throne to take. But Jonathan is laying that down right then and there in front of David. And he's giving it to David instead. He's saying, actually, you, you have my place. You have my spot. His verbal commitment to David wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for him to say like, yeah, man, I'm, I have your back no matter what. We have a covenant together. But then he backs it up by a physical act that says, hey, if you don't believe me, here's proof that your friendship means more to me than anything I could gain. Pretty amazing if you think about it, like what Jonathan is giving up in that moment. And whether he knew it or not, he was aligning his heart with God's to crown David as king. Like I would almost say he didn't even know. I think God's spirit was moving through him to like solidify this 
this act of David being future king. And in the, in the process, he sealed the promise of their friendship. I think God's pretty cool to do those things simultaneously. And specifically, the robe Jonathan gave him was likely this royal robe that when people saw it, they're like, yeah, that's, that's the king's son right there. And then identified him as the future king. And so Jonathan is, in fact, identifying David with himself. He's like, you are now me, <laughs> and I'm now you, basically. We're the same. And David, on his end, uh, it shows a little bit later, he promises to make sure that Jonathan's descendants aren't cut off from the house of the Lord. And David keeps his promise after Jonathan died and brings his son, Mephibosheth, in 2 Samuel 9, if you wanted to read that. He goes and finds uh, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, who has like run, basically, to the outskirts of the country. And he brings him in, restores him to his table, and gives him land that actually belonged to his family. So, so David himself also proves, even though Jonathan like wasn't even alive anymore, he didn't have to do that. He proved his relationship and his friendship with Jonathan by doing that. So these friends not only exchange promises and verbal affirmation of their friendships, but they also prove it to one another. They're action-oriented. They back up their words and I think that's what real biblical friends do. And so questions are like, are, are we all talk about friends? Like when we were with friends, like, yeah, man, care about you. Or I don't know what girls say to each other. What do you guys say to each other? Like woman, uh, just person, someone give me something, but just make a fool of myself up here and you guys just watch and smile. So yeah, do we back up our friendships with one another? Are we keeping promises, like commitments? Like, yeah, I'll do this. I'm really bad. Like, I'm a super bad long distance friend and I like need to grow. And like when I tell my friends, like I'll call them or something like keep up with them, I need to actually do it because I'm really bad at that. And I, I was like, I was processing this. I was like, I either need to not promise that and say like, yeah, I will try to give you a call like two times, I don't know a year. That's not very much, but uh, you know what I mean? Are, are we keeping our commitments and our promises to our friends? Are there friends when they're in need, whether that be emotional, spiritual, or physical? Like, do we try to and seek to meet those? I, ne- I know sometimes, uh, especially like if we are long distance friends, like we want to be around people who are struggling or even to celebrate with people, but we can't be. But are we there like emotionally and spiritually and alongside of them? And, and giving them phone calls or, or sending them things. I will never forget, um, it's, it's been about a year ago, Sarah's mom passed away with cancer and, and like everybody in this church family and, and friends like came to our side and like cooked us meals, sent us gift cards, like gave us gift baskets, like even just texts, like saying, hey, we're thinking about you, praying with you. Is there anything you need? Can we watch your kids? People would watch our kids while we could like go on a date and just process what happened. Like I think as I reflect on that, I'm like, man, these are, these are friends who aren't just saying that they're friends, but like they're actually like proving it and showing it that they care about us. So thank you all um, for doing that for us. And so even just to kind of wrap us up here, we, we see these truths actually ultimately carried out in Christ's promise to us. He is committed to us by coming to earth and living among us. He tells us, he verbally affirms his friendship with us. We saw that last week. In John 15, 15, he's like, I no longer call you servants, but my friends. And he proves it by going to the cross and dying for our sins, raising from the grave to overcome our sin once and for all. He proves it and doesn't just say it. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if we look at Isaiah 61.10, Rick talks about this verse a lot, and it's meant a lot to me over the years. It says that we have been covered with robes of righteousness, a robe of righteousness. Just as Jonathan proves his friendship with David by giving him his robes and weapons and belt and all of this, Jesus shows his love for us by giving us the robe he deserves and taking our punishment. And as we learned last week, no greater love has someone than to lay down their life for their friends. Jesus doesn't just say that, but he does it. He lays down his life. And so you see, because Jesus was perfectly committed to us, affirmed his friendship with us and proved it, we are free to live like this with the friends he has so graciously given to us in our lives. This like has to be the driving force of every friendship we have. If it becomes something else, it will fail in one way or another. If our friendship with one another and relationship with one another isn't fueled by what Christ has already done for us, then I would say it's not going to be one that is Christ-centered or biblical. And knowing we're already perfectly approved of and loved as friends of the God of the universe, I think like gives us such security to live in friendships with one another. And I think this is what I've had to learn and I'm currently learning that I can never be the type of friend that I want to be if I don't first see Jesus as my ultimate friend and source of relational intimacy. And everything I was looking for in a friend is exactly what Jesus provides and infinitely more because even my expectations and my view of a friend is flawed by my sin. And he provides it perfectly, exponentially greater than what I ever thought he could. And seeing him as our ultimate friend frees us up to be friends who, who ourselves are committed, affirming, and action-oriented. This is the only way we can truly, I believe, enjoy friendships in a biblical God-honoring way. Because at the end of the day, no matter what happens in our friendships and what goes on, I, I think we can be okay because the realities of friendships are messy. They're, even if we do these three things, for example, like they're not always going to work out well. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. But at the end of the day, I think we can be okay because we can rest in the fact that we have a true ultimate friend in Christ and he will always be committed. He will always be affirming and he will always prove his friendship to us. And so I have three kind of quick application points. I know we've kind of talked a little bit application, but sometimes I think it's helpful to, to talk about these. And in the realm of commits, I'm just gonna kind of break them, break them down and give one thing. In the realm of committing to our friends, my, my one challenge is to be intentional. Be intentional with your friends and pursue them. Take the initiative yourself and don't wait for your friends to do it first. The second one, I just titled it, let them know. Like, let, let your friends know what you think about them. Like, someone who means a lot to you this week, like, send them a text. Sit down with them for coffee and be like, hey, your friendship means a ton to me. And here's why. Let them know that. Verbally affirm to someone in your life. And I would say the third is to prove your friendship. I know it kind of sounds weird, you know, like, oh, you have to live up to this, but act on your friendship. Maybe we can call it that. (laughs) Maybe this week you clothe your friends in the gospel. Maybe there's somebody in your life where like to show them that I really care about them. I know they're struggling with this or they've been wrestling with this. How can I clothe them in the gospel? Remind them of who they are. Because I'd say that's the most important thing you can do for your friends is remind them of who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. And kind of, I guess this would be, you know, point A. And then point B would be uh, to take a chance and be vulnerable and let others in. I think some of us, for example, we talked about our gospel communities. And I think a lot of us go and we don't always like 
open up and, and be, become vulnerable and share about things going on in our lives. I think that's a way we can take a step and showing like, hey, this group means a lot and I'm going to take a step in and engage. So with that, um, I'd love to, to pray for us and then uh, let the worship band come up. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you that is living and active, that it speaks into every single area of our lives. Thank you, yeah, that you are our ultimate friend, that anything we look for in a friend that you, you have done fully, perfectly, and exponentially more than we could ever dream of. Lord, thank you so much for who you are, and I appreciate you so much. Thanks for being my friend. <laughs> Amen.